We have now talked about (laughs) a lot about who's at highest risk and how our modern lifestyle has driven this epidemic of metabolic dysfunction in our population that's made us so vulnerable to COVID-19. So now let's take a step back and let's just look at the big picture. This is something that the two of us have been talking a lot about these days. But what has the coronavirus pandemic been trying to tell us? What's the underlying message? And are we going to listen to it? Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché-Urcuyo, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, my husband, Dr. Danny, and I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of our Pursuing Health Pearls. In medicine, we refer to clinical pearls as small bits of freestanding information relevant to clinical practice, usually based on experience. Pursuing Health Pearls are shorter episodes in which Danny and I offer you succinct, high-yield info on common health conditions or other topics. We do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. With that, let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health Pearls. We are very excited to dive into this episode, but before we do, we wanted to shamelessly ask for some of your support. Yes. As you may have heard, we're committed to not having sponsors on the podcast in order to remain as unbiased as possible for you. So the only way for us to continue to do what we do is because of you, our listeners. If you have enjoyed the podcast, you can support us by going to pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe to become a Pursuing Health subscriber. Not only will you support what we're doing, but you'll also get access to our workout programs, exclusive discount codes, and live Q&A sessions that we do monthly for our subscribers. So again, we would really appreciate your support. Please head to pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe to check it out. So last time we talked about the coronavirus here on the podcast, it was one of our, it was actually our very first Pursuing Health Pearls episode. And it was back on March 10th, which was just days before the WHO declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. So needless to say, a lot has happened (laughs) since then. Over the past couple of months, we have all experienced dramatic changes to our day-to-day lives, cancellations of large gatherings and events, closures of schools and restaurants, stay-at-home orders. We've seen the stock market crash. We've seen hospitals in places like New York, Washington, and Detroit collapse under the burden of patients with severe disease due to coronavirus infection. And now there are millions infected across Mm -hmm. the globe, hundreds of thousands of deaths. And a lot of the conversation about COVID-19 these days really seems to be focused on things like reopening our local economies, the availability of widespread viral PCR and antibody testing, when on earth we will have a vaccine against this virus, and investigating treatments that might be useful for those with very severe disease who are hospitalized. Yeah, these are all really important things to discuss, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's really driven us away from a pretty central question, which is why are so many of us vulnerable to this virus and what can we do as individuals to keep this from happening again? And I think the, the answer lies in another pandemic that's been mounting for the last few decades, and that's really the pandemic of, of metabolic disease. 
So we're all about getting to the root cause mm -hmm. um, here on uh, pursuing health. And it does seem that the prevalence of metabolic disease in our country and the world is the underlying cause for the mess that we're in now. Yeah, we'd argue that if we didn't have such high rates of metabolic disease, it's very likely that our populations wouldn't have been so severely affected by this virus. And maybe we wouldn't have been forced to shut down our economies and our lives in order to allow our healthcare systems time to prepare for the onslaught of severely ill patients. And it's also important to note that our healthcare systems were already super overburdened mm -hmm. prior to this whole COVID-19 pandemic. And COVID-19 really was the, the straw that broke the camel's back and exposed a lot of the vulnerabilities and everything that's wrong with our approach to health and, and our healthcare system as a whole. Yeah. So in this episode, we thought we'd dig into this topic a little bit more. We'll spend some time talking about what we know now about who is the most susceptible to becoming severely ill from COVID-19. We'll talk about the current state of metabolic disease in our population and what are the major drivers. Then we'll talk about some of the ways that we currently think COVID-19 causes such severe symptoms in those who are metabolically unhealthy. And then we'll just step back and look at the big picture and we'll talk about some of our reflections on how what this COVID-19 pandemic is trying to tell us on a large scale and what can we learn from it and what can we do about it. So first, as Julie mentioned, let's dive into the risk factors for severe disease. And now as COVID-19 has swept across the globe, it's becoming more and more apparent, apparent that it's folks who are elderly, people who are obese and who have chronic metabolic disease or chronic medical conditions are more likely to experience severe symptoms, eventually requiring hospitalization and unfortunately um, maybe succumbing to the disease altogether. So we're going to highlight some of the data that we have now, but it's worth noting that a lot of this stuff is published uh, ahead of print. So it's mm -hmm. not been peer reviewed in order to get it out quickly. Um, there's a lot of data that's very piecemeal, but we're really going to work with what we got at this point. Yeah. So early on, China published some of their data um, back in February from 72,000 cases of COVID-19. And in that data set, they found that older age, so age greater than 65, and having certain comorbidities or other underlying chronic diseases were associated with a more severe course of COVID-19. And among those chronic diseases, they found um, that the highest death rates were associated with cardiovascular disease, followed by diabetes, and then chronic lung disease, high blood pressure, and cancer. And then a smaller study of just under 200 patients who were admitted to the hospital because of severe symptoms for COVID-19 in Wuhan, China, showed the most common comorbidities were high blood pressure, diabetes, and coronary heart disease, and that the odds of dying in the hospital were higher with those who had older age. And we're seeing some of similar results come out of data from New York as well. In a study of over 4,000 patients with COVID-19, the strongest risk factors for hospitalization were age greater than 65, um, having a BMI greater than 40, and heart disease. And this was then later confirmed by another study of more than 5,000 patients, nearly 6,000 patients really, hospitalized in New York that showed that the most common comorbidities were high blood pressure, again, obesity, mm -hmm. and diabetes. Yeah, so you're hearing in these last couple of studies, Danny mentioning obesity as a big risk factor, really kind of the second strongest risk factor after age um, in, uh, in that one study with 4,000 patients. And we do see obesity showing up as an important risk factor for severe disease. And this is important even in those people who are less than 60 years old. Mm -hmm. So there was another analysis, again, in New York, looking at over 3,000 symptomatic patients who tested positive for COVID-19. And they found that in these individuals who are less than age 60, 
who had a BMI greater than 30, so considered obese, were 2 to 3.6 times more likely to have to be admitted to the hospital or require ICU care for their symptoms of COVID-19 than their counterparts who had BMIs less than 30. Mm-hmm. And this trend between obesity and severe disease was also seen in China. So another study of just under 400 patients in Shenzhen, China, showed that obesity had a almost 2.5-fold higher odds of developing severe symptoms. And this was most pronounced actually in men. So in men, there was a 5.7-fold greater risk of developing severe symptoms in men who were obese compared to those who are not. It's also been reported that those with diabetes and metabolic syndrome have up to 10 times greater risk of death from COVID-19. Yeah, so Julie touched a little bit on the, the factors that increase the risk of death. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that. So there's some data from the CDC that shows that 94% of deaths from COVID-19 in the U.S. are those with at least one underlying chronic disease. No surprise, based on what Julie shared just a moment ago. There was one study that pooled data from France, Italy, the Netherlands, Sweden, Georgia, New York City, and found that less than 3% of all COVID-19 deaths occurred in people less than age 64 without underlying conditions. To put this in another way, this means that 97% of deaths from COVID-19 occur in people who are over age 65 and have an underlying health condition. So these are a lot of numbers. We just kind of rapid fired a lot of different studies that have been coming out from around the world. But taking all of this data together, so far, it seems like it's telling us that the risk of severe disease and the risk of death is relatively low in those who are young and who are metabolically healthy. So now let's talk a little bit about the metabolic health of our population. Why is it that we're so susceptible and why so many of us have come down with severe symptoms and how this has led to our hospital systems really being overrun and has led to the drastic precautions that we are taking place that are we are implementing to really flatten the curve? Yeah. So as we mentioned earlier, you know, chronic disease and chronic metabolic disease was already really overburdening our healthcare systems. And In the U.S., six of every 10 adults have at least one chronic disease. Four of 10 adults have two or more chronic diseases. And chronic and mental health conditions account for 90% of our $3.5 trillion in annual health care expenditures here in the U.S., which is just a ridiculous amount of money. We spend more on health care than almost any other country. And to see that the bulk of this is due to chronic and mental health conditions really tells us how prevalent they are and how much, how many resources are going into trying to care for people with these conditions. Now, obesity as well is rampant. So 71% of U.S. adults are overweight, meaning they have a BMI greater than 25. And more than 42% of U.S. adults are obese, meaning BMI greater than 30. So this is approaching three quarters of our population being overweight and almost half of our population being obese. So this is obviously a huge problem. Yeah. So if we reflect back on what are the main um, risk factors for severe disease from COVID, you can see that based on these numbers that a big proportion of our country is is very susceptible to Mm -hmm. um, being affected by this virus. So now let's transition a little bit into diabetes. Really, the numbers for diabetes in the United States aren't any better. We have 30 million people in the US with diabetes. That's about 10% of our population. That's a lot of people, and one in four of those individuals don't know they have diabetes. That's so, the crazy part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. Then 84% of adults in the U.S. have prediabetes. That's one in three. There's This stage is set for them to develop full-blown diabetes, and 90% of those individuals don't know they have di- prediabetes either. 
Yeah. And it brings up an important point that a lot of metabolic disease is actually undiagnosed. And this mm -hmm. is because these diseases exist on a spectrum, right? right? It's not like you're perfectly healthy one day and then the next day you have diabetes. Right. These are processes that develop over decades, over years of time. And often the way our healthcare system is designed, we don't catch them until it's too late, until right. the process is well underway. Um, and so it's important to note that even individuals who are of a normal weight are not necessarily metabolically healthy. So there's actually data that shows about 20% of normal weight individuals actually are metabolically unhealthy and as a result have a higher risk of all-cause mortality as well as having cardiovascular events. So having some of those same risk factors that maybe their obese counterparts do, even though they're of a normal weight. And this is just to add a little bit something here, you know, this is something that I see in clinical practice too. You see a lot of individuals who are fit, they do their, their exercise throughout the week, mm -hmm. but they may spend the majority of their day sitting and they may not have the best diet and they're still at risk. And I see this kind of pre-diabetic or even insulin resistance mm -hmm. um, pop up in those individuals too. So it's yeah, definitely so prevalent. Just, you know, just, you know, because maybe you're fit or, you know, you do some of these lifestyle factors doesn't necessarily mean you're protected. So it's right. important to know kind of where you stand. And actually, there was a really great analysis of NHANES data. So that's National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey data from 2009 to 2016 that showed that 12.2% of American adults have optimal metabolic health. That's mind-blowing. It's crazy, right? <laughs> that means that 88% of our population is metabolically unhealthy in some way. Wow. Um, you know, it's no surprise, again, that we're in the situation that we're in. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think the question that everyone's asking is how do we get to this place? Right. It's a great question. You know, and as we just mentioned, all of these chronic diseases are not necessarily, they're not all different, right? Yeah. It's not like you get high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes. They're all just different manifestations of right. the same underlying process, which is really chronic systemic inflammation, mm -hmm. which is driven by our modern lifestyle. So, one of the biggest drivers of this chronic inflammation is really our diet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you look at the things that most people are eating, it's really no surprise, right? The standard American diet is filled with processed, sugary, starchy foods, and these foods drive inflammation. 60% mm -hmm. of the calories um, that we consume in America are from ultra-processed foods. That's crazy. It's mind-blowing. I mean, it's not surprising when you look at the average grocery store. Yeah. You know, most grocery stores, the majority of the food in there are unhealthy and highly highly processed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It's it really, is. really sad. And you know, it's no different um, around the world either. Globally, the modern diet kills 11 million people a year, making it the single largest um, cause of death. And the thing that makes it so sad is, you know, it's something that we have power over. Mm -hmm. It's not a disease that, you know, affect, um, infects us um, when we're not, you know, being careful or mm -hmm. that kind of thing. It's something, it's a behavior that we do every single day. So, mm -hmm. you know, we talked a little bit about diet, but the other side of the coin is physical inactivity as well. That's also very important that a physical inact inactivity can also drive inflammation quite a bit. Yeah. And then there's chronic stress and isolation. Yeah. I and mean, that's something that I think is highly underestimated. But I talked about this extensively in my research conversation with Dr. George Slavich in episode 139 of the podcast. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend going back to check it out because we dive in and Really, it's something that you don't necessarily think about stress directly impacting your physiology, but it in fact does. And it mm -hmm. does drive this chronic inflammation, which can then manifest as chronic disease. Disturbed sleep is another yes. one that I think is highly underestimated, but 
being sleep deprived, not getting good quality sleep can really disturb your metabolism and drive that inflammation as well. Yeah, we're learning now even that sleep deprivation, small amounts of sleep deprivation can make you insulin resistant, setting the stage Mm -hmm. for pre-diabetes. So as you can see, all this stuff is interconnected. Another thing that we oftentimes don't talk about are environmental toxins. Mm -hmm. And this includes, of course, cigarette smoking, but alcohol as well. But toxins that we don't necessarily think about all the time either. The the Tox21 program tested thousands of chemicals, phthalates, bisphenols, flame retardants, just to name a few, and demonstrated that these chemicals, which we're commonly exposed to in our homes and in our work, greatly affect the molecular signaling pathways that drive inflammation. So these compounds act through multiple mechanisms that are suspected to play a role in the development of many other conditions. Also, things like diabetes that we talked Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. So things that we usually don't think of as well. And then there's chronic infections too. It's a little bit controversial, but um, there is some data to demonstrate that that's actually driving chronic systemic inflammation too. Yeah. So we have all these different factors. It's our nutrition, our physical inactivity, chronic stress, disturbed sleep, environmental toxins, maybe chronic infections. And all of these things taken together in our modern lifestyle are what drives this chronic low-grade inflammation that then manifests as a variety of chronic diseases, things like metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes that we've been talking about, cardiovascular disease, cancer, even some mental health conditions, things like depression, autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, and just generalized decreased immune system function. So we know that we have a population of individuals who are generally metabolically unhealthy. Why is it that COVID-19 seems to cause such severe disease in these people? Yeah. And it's it's a great question. It's driven primarily by three different factors. And we'll go through each of these. The first one is immune system dysfunction, increased chronic low-grade inflammation, and then chronic organ system disease. Yeah. So the first of these factors is immune system dysfunction. And this is something that can lead to increased susceptibility to infection. So it's something we already were well aware of. You know, for example, if you have an individual who has diabetes, they're going to be more susceptible to getting infections and not being able to recover as easily from those infections. Same thing goes for chronic lung disease and so on. Um, You know, the other side of the coin with this is decreased efficacy of vaccines. So because, you know, the immune system is not responding properly, it can't respond necessarily to that trigger of the vaccine in order to mount an appropriate immune response to whatever you're trying to vaccinate against. So that's another thing that we've seen with other vaccines and other conditions. Yeah. Then there's the issue of increased chronic low-grade inflammation, which we talked about um, just a moment ago. And this means that the immune system is already um, activated. It's already already kind of revved up. It's revved up. Exactly. So then if you throw on top of that a virus like the coronavirus, it can really go into overdrive. And it's interesting, it's not actually the coronavirus itself, but it's the massive inflammatory response that includes inflammatory messaging molecules like cytokines that are released in a cytokine storm Mm -hmm. uh, when people get uh, severe illness that causes a lot of the issues that we see in people with COVID-19. And this can manifest in um, a severe form of lung injury called ARDS or um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Or even uh, multi-organ system failure, which, you know, is, is the end of the line, really. Yeah. And the third factor is really chronic disease. So this is basically just saying that because, you know, in chronic disease, depending on what which chronic disease you're talking about, there's already organ system dysfunction. So heart disease, maybe lung disease, kidney disease, it means those organs are not operating optimally. And mm-hmm. so that means whenever there's an insult, like an infection, they don't have the reserve in order to respond 
um, as robustly as they would if you were otherwise healthy. Right. There are some other factors to consider too, especially in those who are obese, um, more sort of physical limitations of lung function. So there can be impaired respiratory mechanics just because of the lower lung volumes, decreased muscle strength of the respiratory muscles, increased airway resistance, and overall, this leads to just reduced gas exchange. You're not able to get that oxygen into your tissues, and it can put some increased stress on the heart as well. So wow. we have now Ooh. talked about <laughs> a lot about who's, highest, who's at highest risk and how our modern lifestyle has driven this epidemic of metabolic dysfunction in our population that's made us so vulnerable to COVID-19. So now let's take a step back and let's just look at the big picture. This mm -hmm. is something that the two of us have right. been talking a lot about these days. But what has the coronavirus pandemic been trying to tell us? What's the underlying message? And are we going to listen to it? Right. You know, we do want to make the point here that in no way are we trying to shame or blame anyone who may have a chronic disease or metabolic dysfunction. Right. Okay? We're talking about systemic issues. Okay. As we've outlined here, the majority of our population is does have some sort of metabolic dysfunction. And this is largely driven by systemic issues within our healthcare system, within our food system, and generally the way that we live our modern lives. And we think the COVID-19 pandemic has shed some light on some of these systemic issues. And we hope that this situation is going to drive some positive change. So one of those biggest areas that I think it's shed light on is certainly our healthcare system. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, as we've been talking about this, you know, already over the past several minutes, our healthcare systems were already buckling under the epidemic of chronic disease before the coronavirus came along. Maybe it just wasn't as apparent or it wasn't a high priority, or maybe it just didn't seem urgent enough, but chronic disease was already threatening to bring bankrupt our country. And it was already decreasing the productivity of our workforce and the quality of life of our people. And now the coronavirus pandemic has really exposed the vulnerabilities of our healthcare system. The way that we handled chronic disease was really largely by using medications to mm -hmm. make the numbers look good, to put right. Band-Aids on these chronic diseases or these problems. You know, for example, in diabetes, you take a medicine to make your blood sugar look good. In high blood pressure, you take a medicine to make your blood pressure look good. Maybe you take a medicine to make your cholesterol look good. And that kind of satisfies your doctor and your insurance companies and your, you know, whatever, maybe your work program or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you still have that underlying inflammation that's smoldering and that's driving this chronic disease. And the only way to really address that is through our lifestyle. So we have to think about how can we shift our healthcare system um, from this, this approach of putting Band-Aids on problems to really addressing the root cause. And we really think that the root cause of this coronavirus pandemic and why it became such a huge burden on our healthcare system was the prevalence of chronic disease and metabolic disease in our country. And this, I think, really brings back to um, the model that we love to talk about from the CrossFit Level 1, which is the sickness wellness fitness yeah. continuum. And basically, you have fitness on a continuum. You have sickness on one side, wellness in the middle, and fitness on the other side. And what we try to do is to get people as far on that fit side of the continuum as possible. So mm -hmm. while our healthcare system might be happy where people are sitting in well or even teetering on that sick side of the continuum, keeping their numbers look, looking good, if we can push people as far to that fit side of the continuum as possible so that they're really metabolically healthy, then they can handle you know, any challenge that life 
throws their way in a lot more in a lot better way. They have mm-hmm. more reserve. They have more buffer. They're more resilient. More resilience against yeah. anything that life throws their way, whether it's another coronavirus or whether it's getting in a car accident, whether it's getting cancer or any other challenge. And so right. we need to think about how can we design our healthcare system so that we're pushing people onto that fit side of the continuum so that we're helping people address the root cause, the underlying root cause, that so we're helping give people this buffer mm-hmm. against whatever challenges come our way. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine if we could flip that statistic on its head. Imagine if only 12% of our population was metabolically unhealthy. It'd be a totally different situation. And 88% <laughs> was metabolically healthy, right? We wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. We wouldn't have had to shut down our economies and stay at home and, and do all of this stuff because our healthcare systems would have easily been able to handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way that we can really do that is by changing our diets and changing our lifestyles. Wow. Yeah. I think you hit the, the nail on the head there. It's that, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the message. And I, th- I think if we dive a little bit deeper um, into that topic, we can see the, the close connection between food and our healthcare system. And because of that connection, I think we've seen some of the, the vulnerabilities of our food system as well. So we've seen, you know, grocery stores run out of food. We're seeing that our supply chains are vulnerable, that we're getting a lot of food, maybe from far away. Mm-hmm. And it has us thinking maybe we should reevaluate where we would get our food. Mm-hmm. We think that maybe it might be a better idea to get our food from local farmers and, and really start investing in regenerative agriculture and making decisions regarding eating healthier food altogether. So now we're in a place where we have to decide, should we buy um, food that makes us healthy or should we buy food that makes us sick and more vulnerable to things like COVID-19 or should we um, you know, continue to reward companies? Um, um, by purchasing their products and and purchasing this food that makes us really less healthy and more weak, or are we going to buy food that makes us healthier and makes us more resilient? Um, and are we going to eat more processed food, or mm-hmm. are we going to eat food that um, you know is more in line with our with our physiology, what we really evolved to eat, which are whole foods, foods that you know are in their are in their natural state, things that are you know foods that have lots of vegetables healthy meats, healthy fats, all those good things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we talked about how this is really, all these things are systemic issues, right? And, and part of the, the issue I think is the toxic food environment that a majority of people are living in. And this is something that just has to change in order to change the behavior um, and change what people are eating. Mm -hmm. You know, food is addictive. Yes. And by being in toxic food environments where it's really constantly available and constantly around us is nearly impossible yeah. you know to eat good foods that are really healthy I mean, for us we now we now know right that that some foods particularly sugary foods can be as addictive as drugs so if mm-hmm. you think about it in the context of a drug addiction it's as if you had a drug dealer at every corner and you're trying to come off that drug of course it's going to be impossible and it's going to set you up for failure and that's likely one of the reasons why we've ended up in the situation that we're in at this point right so You know, we know that no matter how much willpower someone has, this toxic food environment where we have fast food restaurants Mm -hmm. on every corner, we have vending machines and soda in every building, unhealthy food easily accessible in every workplace. It's just not helpful and it's not setting us up for success. And, you know, for me and for us, I think it's been very discouraging to even see during this time the donations of really unhealthy food to hospitals as a way to thank our healthcare workers. And, you know, it's amazing the things that our healthcare workers are doing right now. And I know that people just want to say thank you, Mm -hmm. but seeing people bringing in, you know, boxes of donuts and tons of pizza and sweets and things like that as a way to say thank you, it's really discouraging because it's really, 
it's really just setting people up to continue to perpetuate this the epidemic of, yeah. of chronic disease and metabolic dysfunction. And it's, you know, we were joking about this the other day, or I don't know if it's really that funny, but <laughs> it's, it's, we're in a similar situation to how we were with cigarettes in the right. past, right? So we know now, you know, just like we know now that there's a link between cigarette smoking and lung cancer, we also know now that there's a link between sugar and refined carbohydrates and metabolic dysfunction. Mm -hmm. It's very clear. And yet we're still allowing it to be readily available in our workplaces. It's as if we were to allow a tobacco company to come and drop off free cigarettes to say, oh, this is to say thank you and help you kind of relieve stress during this <laughs> difficult time, right? It sounds crazy, yeah. but that's exactly what we're doing or what we're allowing to happen by bringing in pizza and donuts and cookies and all of this sugar. So, yeah. you know, it's incredibly addictive and um, to use it in that way is just a way to kind of sabotage our health. So I think as a culture, we mm. need to figure out other ways to show our appreciation and to say thank you because for so long it's been sweets are a reward and sweets are a way to to say thank you or to celebrate. Right, right. Um, you know, I've also been really loving seeing people building gardens during this yes, time. Yes, we've That's seen Instagram really cool. blow up with people <laughs> going to Home Depot and buying stuff. I've seen a couple people build chicken coops. That's amazing. It's very neat. Right. So thinking about how we can bring that food back to, you know, our homes, to our local farmers, mm -hmm. how we can support local farmers. Um, and then, you know, there's always ways, too, that we can advocate for policy changes. Mm -hmm. So never underestimating the power of writing a letter to your yes. congressman or supporting local efforts in your community that are helping to drive these changes. Mm -hmm. And then I think the pandemic has also shed um, light on our personal lifestyle habits. And, and what I mean by that is um, really the pace of life that we're living. Yeah. Right. It's caused us to slow down. It's caused us to reevaluate. We're no longer commuting to work and trying to jam pack as much as we possibly can in a day. We're starting to slow down. And the ironic thing is that this pandemic is kind of teaching us things that we should have been doing in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Spending more time with friends and family, connecting with others, perhaps cooking more often, perhaps even starting a movement practice. It's as if, you know, nature is kind of steering us in the way that we're supposed to behave. Mm -hmm. um, although it's unfortunately in the context of something so bad. Right. But it's it's showing us how to live our lives in a way that's consistent with our health. Right. right? All of these behaviors like slowing down. Um, getting outside, spending time with loved ones, cooking at home, all these behaviors are helping us mm -hmm. to become more metabolically healthy and therefore less susceptible yeah. to things like the coronavirus. So Absolutely. It's, it's really interesting the way that this whole situation is really, I think, trying to help all of us and to shine a spotlight for all of us on what we can do to live healthier lives and to kind of get out of that constant cycle that we've been in for so many years. Yeah. You know, I, we hope that this has really been the trigger for the healthcare system too, to really make dramatic changes and to put more of a focus on creating health with the things that we just talked about um, and really stop putting band-aids on things. Um, although those medications are important, they really shouldn't be the, the first line um, intervention. And we think this pandemic is teaching us a lot about illness and, and where illness and disease stems from and that it stems from an imbalance in our relationship with ourselves and what we do and feel and our relationship with our environment, what we're exposed to, what we expose ourselves to. And this is really a chance to find balance again. Yeah. So we're really optimistic about the future. You know, there's so much we can all do. It starts on a local level in each of our homes, continuing with some of the positive habits that we've developed over the past two months. And 
not allowing those to fall to the wayside when the pace of life picks back up again. And we've also talked about how, you know, we just want to make it clear. We've talked a lot about how young metabolically healthy people have relatively low risk of getting severely ill from COVID-19. And we don't want you to think that we're just ignoring the fact that a majority of our population is actually not in that category or that there's no hope for those people. Right. You know, the beautiful thing about this is that it is within all of our power to make some simple changes. And no, these are simple changes. They're not necessarily easy changes, (laughs) but they are simple things that we can do. Making changes to our diet, the way that we live our lives and reversing that metabolic dysfunction. That's within all of our reach. And we've seen it happen in a matter of weeks. So there's really no time like the present to get started. We can all also be advocates for larger scale change too. As we mentioned, these are systemic problems. And so advocating in your communities, your states, and your countries is really important. So thanks guys for tuning in. That's it for this uh, edition of Pursuing Health Pearls. Um, as a quick reminder, we're committed to not having sponsors on the podcast in order to remain as unbiased as possible for you. We never want you to think that we're saying something just because we're getting paid to say it. So the only way for us to continue to do what we do here and bring you content is with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other podcast episodes and you'd like to show your appreciation, please head over to pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe to become a Pursuing Health subscriber. And not only will you be supporting us, but also you'll get access to our workout programs, exclusive discount codes, and live Q&A sessions that we do every month with our subscribers. So again, we really appreciate it. Please head over to pursuing-health.com slash subscribe to show your support. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health Pearls. Bye, guys.